Hello, and welcome to Hypergrowth, the podcast dedicated to unpacking what it takes to build rapidly scalable e-commerce brands. I'm your host, Arjun Jolly, co-founder of Ad Quadrant. And you know, the past few podcasts, we've really focused on uh, apps in the e-commerce ecosystem, apps like Okendo and Just Uno and Shopify and Ometria. But we're going to switch it up a little bit. And we've got a really exciting show for you planned today where we're going to have Adele Nasser, the CMO of Event and E-Bikes, joining us. Aventon is an amazing e-bike company that's backed by Sequoia Capital and that's grown rapidly in the past couple of years under Adele's leadership. Adele is an amazing leader, mother of two boys, and pretty much a force to be reckoned with when it comes to anything marketing related, especially with experience being both agency and brand side. Adele, welcome and thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Thank you for such a beautiful introduction. That was so kind of you. Of course, of course. I, I know I didn't even do it justice, so I know I'm just, I'm just scratching the surface and we're going to dive deep today. But I mean, just to start things off, you've been you've been at Aventon for three years. I think you just celebrated your, your three-year anniversary and there's been some rapid growth. I would love to just start off by talking about your story in terms of uh, you know, your career, what led you to what you're doing now and also what the past couple of years have looked like for you as well? Yeah, absolutely. Yes, I just celebrated three years at Aventon. I'm really excited to hit that milestone, um, especially when you consider that I onboarded right before the world shut down during a pandemic and just being able to overcome so many of the hurdles that the pandemic you know, gave us as an organization, but every brand in general had to deal with. So it's been a roller coaster of excitement. I've learned a tremendous amount and I'm excited to share some of that with you all. Um, but ultimately what led me here is, you know, the fact that I, my career has really progressed in a way where I started agency side. I did 10 years cutting my teeth on all things agency marketing and working with so many really cool brands. And then Eventually, as I realized I wanted to start a family, Arjan, I really decided that I needed a, something a little more focused. I wanted to be a little more concentrated in the effort that I could give a company and a brand. And unfortunately, when you are agency side, that's really hard to do. Um, I used to often joke that I felt like I was a doctor on call. You know, you're always <laughs> waiting for the next client to call, for something to break, for, you know everything to work. And it was just, it was a tremendous amount. And so I made my way um, client side and haven't turned back. It really has given me such precision and focus and clarity on how I approach a brand and growth and, and really being able to provide growth marketing at its best with that focus and that passion that I have for everything that I do and being able to concentrate it into one brand. So I have enjoyed every moment being on the brand side and being able to support the brands I've worked with. Awesome. I love it. And how about this this uh, past few years? I mean, obviously, we were in a pandemic. Uh, I yeah. think you started that event in just before the pandemic started. So you kind of went into this two whirlwind. Before. Yeah, yeah. So two days before, oh my gosh. So you went into this this whirlwind of like, yeah. wow, right? So I'd love to... I'd love to understand what that was like and what this past couple of years looked like for you in terms of your growth, as well as the brand and the growth that the brand experienced itself. Yeah, you know, it's so funny because when I first joined, I don't think anyone anticipated the world would shut down thereafter. And so the plan was build out the team, structure um, the brand to grow and really help take the brand to the next level. What we didn't know is what the pandemic would bring, right? So when the world did shut down and, and the U.S., went into um, a reclusive state with everyone working remote, I had to reimagine what, you know, e-bikes meant to 
to the to people. And what we didn't anticipate is what the response would be from the consumers to e-bikes. When you think about being at home and you think about gyms being closed and no way for people to get out and exercise and just enjoy life, um, more and more e-bikes became a high um, interest product because it was a way for people to social distance safely. It was a way for people to commute safely, thinking about, you know, even public transport or getting in a ride share. I mean, those were scary things at the time. Yeah. And so it it was such a crazy time. Basically, the pandemic brought on the second bike boom for the e-bike industry. And we have not looked back. It's been if you're at the if if the brand was at the right place at the right time, had the right marketing activations in place, they were able to gain market share and really grow. So some brands really gained huge momentum, like Aventin, which I'm so grateful we were able to do. We had great partners like AdQ that helped us. And then the brands that didn't ultimately got a little piece of the pie because everyone to some extent had luck involved in the in the broom, but ultimately they they couldn't hack it. Today, the brands that were able to gain the market share and set a precedent and be the brand that the consumers love um, are still here. And the ones that haven't are just slowly losing market share. And so I'm grateful that we were able to, to make it through, but not for a lack of many hurdles, not for a lack of, of you know, um, struggles. We had so many, right? Growing pains and hiring difficulties and remote work, you know, at the time was not a, a thing that everyone knew how to do. So we really had to navigate so many things. And often our CEO would always say, it's like we were building the plane while we were flying it. So that analogy sticks with me. That's literally how it's felt the last three years. <laughs> so. Yeah. And, and that, that that right there, I mean, that's the story of hyper growth, right? I mean, you have this, this situation where you're faced with the circumstance and the opportunity, I should say, that, you know, you can capture that market share, you can build the plane while flying it. And look back at it and say like, wow, right? Like literally you look back at that growth and you just say, wow, because it's so incredible and impressive. Impressive, And you know, the thing I really like about, about what you guys are doing and, and e-bikes as a whole is just the value it creates for human beings of all ages, of all demographics, right? I mean, I see senior citizens getting out there and getting their, their life back. And, you know, while they may not be able to pedal long distances, they jump on the e-bike and they just go, right? And they have the smiles on their faces, they get the exercise in, but it's really an incredible, um, you know, story that you guys have, especially as as you look back back at the past couple of years. Um, I'm curious if you were if you were to look back and think back to, you know, prior to that growth, uh, you know, when you were when you were just getting involved, where you were just getting started before the surge. If you were to look back at that moment, what would you have done differently um, at this point? Like, what would you what do you wish you would have done at that stage when you were just starting that? pivot in terms of hyper growth. And when you were starting that rapid scale, what do you wish you would have done differently? You know, that's a really good question. I'll be honest. I don't think I've had time to think about it. <laughs> but if I had to do anything differently, I would say that really understanding the consumer psychology behind um, the need for an e-bike during the pandemic and taking that time to understand it and map it out and, and you know, talk to it more. I think that would have been the thing I would have done over because we were moving so fast. We were just focused on the product and getting the product out there and not really storytelling as much about the use cases. In hindsight, of course, that would have been the key. But then as we started moving forward, we really started to understand consumer behavior, the psychology, the effect the pandemic was having on people. And that's when we started doing more of the storytelling, but it was not until 
a little later. So that would be, I would say, the thing I wish we would have done over is taken the time to understand and speak to it a little differently, more thoughtfully, and just story tell how e-bikes were life-changing. That could have been a critical, I think, positive effect in hindsight. Yeah. Look, I think at the end of the day, marketing is marketing, right? It's all about testing and learning, right? Yeah. So uh, I think that that reflection is probably one that most brands could look back at uh, in the pandemic years and, and think through, right? Because look, at the end of the day, yeah. the pandemic is not something that anybody has ever experienced, at least uh, anybody that's alive today, right? And I think it's a situation where you look back at those moments and think about what was actually happening around us in the world. And there are so many different things that we could have done differently. I mean, look at the industry as a whole today, right? With with what's happening. Um, I still think there's a ton of opportunity to go. And you guys have done an absolutely amazing job in positioning yourselves as market leaders and really leading the charge in the e-bike industry. So kudos to you, Adele, and your leadership that you've put in play for Aventon and the brand as a whole. Now, I want to just switch gears for a second because you are, and I, I've known you for a long time, Adele, and, and I'm going to say this from the bottom of my heart, you're an amazing leader. And not only that, you're the mother of two boys. So I want to know, how do you do it? How do you balance it? How do you manage building a company that just rapidly surges, that takes off like wildfire, while also maintaining the family aspect and not sacrificing one over the other? Yeah, I mean, that is such a good, you know, segue, right? When you think about life in general and, and being a parent and setting examples. I think the one thing that I will say that has helped me is scheduling everything. I live and breathe by my calendar. It really helps keep me sane. I also really try my best that to when I'm at home and when I'm with my family, I dedicate time to them. You know, instead of being connected to my phone or on my devices or in front of a computer, I make the time to connect with them. So there's small moments of connectivity that are high quality. And those high quality moments are memorable for the family. And so I think that's where I've done my best to maintain that. Is it always perfect? No. But, you know, that coupled with scheduling everything on a family shared calendar, staying consistent, consistent for the kids too. You know, my boys um, you know, they have their schedule of all their activities and showing up and being consistent for those and scheduling my work around their needs as well has helped me. I set an example for my team. I know a lot of people don't like to talk about that. And it's almost like a taboo topic in many ways where, you know, you're you're this you're a leader that is setting an example by setting telling your team that it's okay to prioritize family and quality of life in addition to doing your job. And when I do get in front of my computer or I am you know, actively working, I'm much more focused and I put everything into that. So I have always been someone that just is really good at compartmentalizing. So when I'm at work, I'm really not thinking a lot about other things and vice versa. When I'm at home, I try to minimize um, thinking about work. And, and I think that's also another skill set that I, I've really honed and sharpened over the years that helps me stay focused and um, able to do both well. Now, not everything is perfect, but I do it well enough that I'm proud. I'm proud of the children I raised. I'm proud of the work that I've done. And, you know, I, when I'm not proud of the work I've done, something's wrong and I have to reset. Awesome. I think it's a great, great way to look at it and a great way to really just uh, balance it out, right? Because as we get busy building our brands, building our businesses, it's so easy to prioritize certain things over others um, and kind of forget. I mean, even for me, I've, I've recently realized that I haven't, 
I haven't uh, prioritized my health and exercise and gone for a walk in a long time. So now I'm moving to the direction of if I'm taking my Monday morning calls, I'm walking two miles while taking them. And it's just, it's those, those two millimeter shifts that we need to make in terms of mindset to be able to really acknowledge and recognize where that balance needs to occur. And then just quite frankly, execute, execute, execute against that balance. Right. So, um, yeah, it's an amazing way to look at it and especially just that compartmentalization. So, you know, jump into the the e-commerce brand side for for a second here, Adele. If if you were, um, let's just say, speaking to an e-commerce brand owner that was ten million in revenue, they've got product market fit. They they figured out something with their product that's unique. They've got their audience dialed in, um, but their goal is to scale from ten to fifty in the next eighteen months. What advice would you give them? The biggest advice I can give a brand that wants to scale is you have to think about the consumer journey more and you have to think about the top of the funnel. And I know it's scary to invest at the top because it doesn't always have immediate returns. And so the consumer needs with such a nonlinear approach to marketing these days with so many devices that consumers are exposed to, you have to imagine things from a surround sound approach. So figure out how to surround your consumer in all the areas that they are with a strategy that they're going to see you and be exposed to and build brand awareness, which then is brand equity. And then that brand equity becomes brand recall. And eventually it'll all come together at the bottom of the funnel. But if you are not investing in the top where many brands are afraid to do, especially at that 10 million threshold, um, you're never going to be able to scale. And so growth marketing sometimes is taking a lot of risk and spending a, a little bigger in areas that may not immediately have that yield or that conversion or that CPA that you need to hit, but eventually it'll co- all to come, come together. So it's a little risk-taking. It's a little scary at times. And you have to think about the surround sound approach for your consumer and the product you're delivering. And where do you need to be in front of them in what platforms, on what channels, and not be afraid to enter those channels or those platforms. So when you think about that surround sound approach, how would you define it? Is it an element of just kind of being everywhere where your consumers are or your demographic is, or is it being places where maybe they're not today, but they could be tomorrow? So I, I would start with focusing on where you believe they are today, right? Start there. Start with Understanding who they are, understanding their behavior, understanding the content they're consuming, um, the devices that they're spending the most time on, and then find the platforms or the tactics to get in front of them on those devices, on those platforms. And that's where I would start. Eventually, you're going to want to be more proactive and get to the point that you mentioned where you're thinking ahead and planning for growing your audience further by finding them earlier or sooner in the funnel. But in the immediate, when you want to start the scaling process, think bigger, think outside the box, think about their behavior and where they are today. And that's something that I feel like in my conversations with many of these brands that I've joined and helped grow they hadn't been thinking about. They're thinking, how do I be the most efficient, get the most out of the dollars I'm spending now? But if you're doing that now and you're not filling the top of the funnel and you're not considering the journey and you're not storytelling and you're not considering the amount of you know, content that your consumer is receiving and you're not part of that content, you're missing yeah. out. Yeah, totally valid. And I think that that risk-taking element, it's a, it's a psychological shift, right? Especially when you're yeah. at that that 10 million mark where you've kind of, you figured it out, but it's the what's next, right? It's how do you actually shift into that, that mindset that not every single dollar is going to, going to pay you back immediately and have that return, but it's more of that long tail cycle. Exactly. It's a long tail cycle, but also, you know, when you think about just your marketing budgets as a executive who has 
dollars that they're accountable for. Set aside a test budget that is okay to fail with, right? So one of the things I always do when I rebudget or when I join an organization and I'm told, okay, here's the budget, play around with it, give us a new strategy. I set aside 10% of that budget that is the okay to fail fund, I call it, um, where I, I say whatever happens with that 10%, whether we win or fail with that spend, I'm going to try a lot of things. And I make it okay for my team to try and play with that budget. And that safety net makes them feel secure about also trying and finding new ways to expand and get in front of the consumers in different ways. And so I call it the fail fund. I highly encourage it. It's been one that is a winning strategy in my playbook for many years. And I think it's really helped me get to where I am and help with the hyper growth of many of the brands that I've supported over the years. Awesome. Adele, I think this has just been absolutely amazing. And I really, really appreciate you having uh, the time for the show today. I think our audience is going to find a lot of value out of some of the things that you, you shared today, especially as they're thinking about that journey of how do they, how do they scale their brand post-pandemic, right? Like what do they have to think about now versus what was happening in the past couple of years? And how do they lean into some of these risk-taking approaches that are going to really drive their brands forward? So that's all the time we have uh, for today's podcast. To everyone out there listening and watching, thanks for tuning in and stay tuned for the next edition of Hyper Growth. Thanks, everyone.